Welcome to the Career Zone podcast, where each episode we spend some time focusing on something that's on students' minds right now. I'm your host, Rachel, employability and careers consultant with the University of Exeter. You can catch up on all of our episodes by doing all of those subscribing and following things. We're on Spotify and iTunes. Welcome to the university's latest Career Zone podcast. Thanks for joining us. Um, my name is David Pritchard. I'm a careers and employability consultant at the University of Exeter. And today I'm really delighted to be joined by Erica Sosner, who is founder and creator of the Career Equation and CEO of Career Matters. And she will explain a little bit more about that in a second. Welcome, Erica. Thank you for having me, David. I'm excited to be here. Our pleasure. So Erica and myself, we have a real interest and I guess some expertise you'd like to think in understanding the ever-changing world of graduate employment. And for today's podcast, because that is such a massive area, what we're going to focus our conversation on is the notion of graduate success. And just ask really, what does this actually mean in today's world of graduate employment? So Erica, just to build on my very, very brief introduction. I'm really intrigued by the idea of a career equation. I sort of started to think, wow, somebody's come and come up with the perfect formula for having a successful career. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, certainly. I mean, I'm not sure that uh, that it's the perfect formula, but it is a formula. And I think when it comes to the importance and significance, actually, that work and career plays in our life, our identity, our financial security and all that other stuff. It's surprising that we haven't got more formulas and thinking, I think, to help people to confidently make decisions and feel their way into what might be right for them. So, you know, I I might hesitate at perfect, but I'll take A. (laughs) (laughs) And let me, you know, for for your listeners, I think it's probably helpful if we explain what the equation is, because actually it will be the basis of much of our exploration and discussion. So let me give you um, a sort of short summary. I've been a careers consultant and a coach for coming on for 20 years, and I've worked with many people all over the world exploring their career at different stages, from school leavers all the way to senior leaders planning the later stages of their career and everyone in between. And what I noticed in those conversations was that there was a really wide variety of criteria that people were considering when they thought about, am I thriving at work? Is this the right work for me? So over the years, I kind of distilled this into what I'll tell you about the equation. And then I'll give you a bit of thinking around that that might be useful to your students as well. So we say in the career equation, and it's a word equation, there's no number, there's no number that comes out of it, that thriving is defined as the following. Skills plus passion plus impact divided by the compromises in environmental fit between what's ideal for you and what you've got. So let me say some more about all of that. So we say that people are thriving at work when they use their skills and their strengths to the maximum. And if you look at employee engagement data, it tells you that people want to play to their strengths. They want to do work that suits them. And that, I think, is fairly obvious. We know this. We know through strengths finders and tools like that, that playing to your skill set is important. But the second component of the equation is passion. And by that, we mean, what are you into? What do you like? What gives you pleasure? What is considered to be interesting for you? 
And that might be a subject matter. So it might, for example, be mathematics or travel or design. But it might also be the experience or feeling you get when you're playing to a strength or an interest. For example, the pleasure of troubleshooting and problem solving, the enjoyment we might get from making connections between people. So it's as much about the subject matter as it is about the experience. And again, employee engagement data tells us that people want to do interesting and meaningful work. But what David finds interesting, what I find interesting is going to differ. So it's really important that you're able to pinpoint what do I think is interesting and meaningful right now? So using our skills and strengths, applying them to something that you're into, that you enjoy, that gives you pleasure, that you're curious around and getting an impact a result that is meaningful to you. And we all define what success looks and feels like differently, um, but we're rarely asked. So it's easy to assume that the only definition about success is more money, more status, more bling, more stuff, right? But actually in thousands and thousands of conversations I've had, people all define success very differently. And it's really worth it when you start to think about your career to explore what do I mean when I talk about success in my life and work? What is it that I'm measuring? So skills, passion and impact are the three things that tell you about a person's character. And then we say that underneath the line, if you imagine the line underneath as a dividing line, but also in a way as the ground beneath your feet, we have the soil of environmental fit. And for me, I think environment makes the biggest difference. An environment can be anything from the size of the organization you work at, whether it's public, private, not for profit, whether it's international or small and local, whether your work is fast paced or relatively gentle in its speed, whether you're a specialist, generalist, what the coffee's like, what the Wi Fi is like, what the people are like, what the level of formality is like. So, really getting underneath the skin of what are the environmental factors that help you to do your best work. And then, as much as possible, finding work that doesn't conflict with that, that complements that and reduces the amount of frictions between the environment that helps you do your best work and the environment that you've got. And that's what the equation is. It's basically four simple buckets for exploring your thoughts and feelings and criteria around careers. What am I good at? What am I into? How do I measure a successful life? And then what environmental factors help me to be at my best? And of course, you know, a career, you evolve the insight around these questions as you go along, right? So, you know, early in our career, we make the best choice that we can based on the insight that we have. And then we go and do some experiments, don't we? We go and try some things out and we discover more about ourselves and more about the opportunities that the world of work can hold. So that's the equation. It's a, it's a way of making simple some of the complexity of the thoughts that people go into around their career decision making. Thanks, Erica. That's really interesting. So let me put this to you then. So are you in a sense saying that um, all of us as individuals should be quite idealistic and selfish in terms of what we want from the world of work? And if so, how does that sort of influence the way that we deal with the dreaded job interviews when an employer, and I know this question has come up recently, where they may ask the candidate to share their definition of what success means to them. Mm-hmm. What are they getting at there? And should we be adapting our answer or sticking to our guns in terms of, well, actually, 
this is what I want. These are many good questions all in one go. I'll do my best <laughs> to answer a little bit of everything. So the first thing I would say is in the average working life, and this is you know very broad brush average, we will spend 80,000 hours at work. 80,000 hours is a lot of time. And if you haven't heard that stat before, I hope I, I experience you in my head falling off your chair or, or pausing on your bike to a screeching halt because 80,000 hours is a long time. It's a really long time. And considering the amount of time and energy that we might put into, say, planning a holiday or planning a party, right, it's surprising how little time we put into planning and thinking about and choosing and making demands of and setting expectations for those 80,000 hours. You know, when you think about the investment of time. So to your response, your question of is it idealistic? Well, generally in any area of life, where you look is where you go. Yeah. So the clearer you are about criteria, whether it comes to choosing a course at uni or choosing a partner or choosing a country you want to live in or choosing what you're going to have for dinner, the more specific you can be about what your criteria are, the easier it is to plan for and make a better decision that will support the outcomes that you want. And so the equation is idealistic in that respect of I want you to have a framework to do your best thinking, given where you are in your life right now, about what you think would be the sort of experience that defines thriving for you at work. And then I want to support you to go hell for leather in making good decisions around that. The best choices that you can and doing some experiments around that. So it is idealistic in as far as it's rare that someone does the equation process and discovers that everything is hunky-dory and perfect in the work that they're doing right now, or that there are no difficult choices to make between one option and another. There's always room for growth, but that's what makes it interesting. So in a way, what the equation is, is a kind of north star for people to say, broadly speaking, I want to be using these kinds of skills and having these kinds of experiences, and that's how I'll be measuring what success looks like, so that I can make informed decisions that help to ensure a good fit and a win-win for both me and my potential employer. And to your point about interviews then, how does that shift and turn on its head the interview dynamic? Well, it is always the case when you go to an interview that you are both, it is like a date, you are both scrutinising each other yeah so it's common for us to get into the power dynamic of you're making the ultimate decision as the employer and it's my job to just kind of you know say what you want to hear so I can I can be liked by you but actually I think a more reasonable and equitable way forward is to say this is who I am and what I bring I certainly want to share my insights and my experience with you to give you confidence about me being a good fit for you but I'm also curious about you being a good fit for me with the view that the environment makes the biggest difference, you really do want a stress test if you're someone like me who gets bored easily <laughs> to be able to say, are there opportunities for growth? What are the thresholds when I've mastered something, not just in terms of promotion, but in terms of learning? In what ways does this organisation have an appetite to grow its people and to really stress test that? Or if you're someone who you know is more of a specialist than a generalist, and want, you want to stay closely involved and aligned with the product or service you're providing, asking, you know, how might I be supported in being an expert 
and how might that progress be recognised as opposed to the more orthodox manner of like promoting people out of the subjects that they enjoy and into management, for example. So I really do think that interviews should be about, from a position of self-knowledge, getting curious about fit. And I think that that making that inquiry is a win-win for both sides, because actually it's no good for an employer if you they do offer you a position, train you and support you, and you decide that actually it isn't for you. That's not a win for them either. And I think it's great that people have started to ask this question, how do you define success? And the reason I think that's great is because we're bombarded with definitions of success that come from elsewhere. Social media certainly has a view. Educators will have a view. The media will have a view. Our family of origin will have a view. So I'm the child of first generation migrants and my parents have a very, very particular view about what success in education and what success in life looks and feels like. And what we want to be able to do is to have the discernment to hear what's true for you as an individual. How do you define and measure success? And also to be dynamic about realising that that will change as you change, as you grow. You know, the, the in my 20s and 30s in the consulting industry, I really wanted to um, travel, to work on complex projects with companies with big names, you know, and, uh, and be part of a big network and be socially out and about a lot. Now in my, my 40s and with a young child, I'm more interested in my thought leadership, the opportunity to have research, to share ideas and to transfer some of my knowledge to other experts in, in the industry. So my definition, my interest around what I measure has evolved, although actually my subject matter has stayed pretty true, which is I still like talking to strangers about their lives and where they want to go. And I still like matchmaking effectively and giving a tool for matchmaking between organizations and individuals. Excellent. Thank you, Erica. Yeah, I mean, so much there I could pick up on, but just to share with you, you know, with the way we work, we do a lot with students early on, first year, second year, particularly in putting them at the heart of this decision and doing what we call self-assessment. It's not the most popular and sexy aspect of career planning. But as you've indicated, it's really important, isn't it, to put yourself at the heart of this really important decision. And one of the things I've noticed in the last couple of years is particularly in doing work around values is the importance that students attach to work-life balance, whether mm -hmm. that's to do with what's happened you know, in the last few years, I'm not sure. Do you think, you know, from your relationships with employers, that employers are aware of this trend? And if so, how are they responding? Because it seems to me that success for many is is having a lifestyle that fits them and having a balance. I think that there has been a huge step change in humanising the workplace. And I think that the generations just leaving university now are really going to champion that because I think they've come into it as an expectation really that work-life balance that mental health that work has its place and we make our contributions there and then we make contributions in other areas of our lives and fuel ourselves in other parts of our lives in ways that are important too so I think that employers are very aware of that and I think the step change around that is going to be a value add for everybody because I think since the Industrial Revolution, we've been going bigger, faster, longer, harder. <laughs> and then the pandemic gave an opportunity for a kind of fundamental reset that was long overdue. 
because actually that bigger, faster, longer, harder, the presenteeism, cultural long hours culture didn't work for many people for a variety of different reasons, was exclusionary and not necessarily health giving. But I think that also organisations are in a process of transformation, so they haven't quite got there yet. A lot of them get the ethos and the ideas, but they haven't yet got comfortable with what is the rhythm or the method for how we ensure a work-life balance and people taking care of themselves and still doing really good work. Because I think there is also a balance of exchange. You know, if you are employed, then you do have a contractual responsibility to show up, to give of your best, to explore where and how you might grow and add value to yourself and the organisation and to mentor, support and nurture those who are coming below you, more junior, more new to the organisation as a community member. So I think the balance between what is it that, that is expected of me and what is it that I contribute is as important as my balance of when am I at work and when am I off? Yeah. So in order to really create work-life balance and a sort of holistic workplace, we have to be thinking about what we give as well as what we get. And that too will help restore an individual, an individualized sense of balance. You mentioned as well, I love that one of the things I love about Exeter is how early and how sort of integral career navigation is in your curriculum. And I think that is incredibly important and I can't really say enough about that. So I've been a careers advisor myself within universities and of course I've coached people making their first choices and at different stages too. But the thing that I would say is that it's really important to start thinking early about what experiences you might want to have. Don't worry too much about what is the job I want to do, but do worry about what kind of experiences do I want to have? As in, in this course, all this placement, all this research that I'm reading, all this article that I'm writing, all this dissertation that I'm producing, all this project I'm working on, what is giving me energy? What is it that I think, wow, it would be such a pleasure to just do this day in, day out? Yeah. Is it writing, reading, exploring, diagnosing, discovering, implementing, sorting, organizing? You know, what is that for you? Yeah. And the answer to that might not come through your course. But that's why it's so important to do other things, to be involved in extracurricular, to be involved in volunteering and to be in active reflection with each of those activities and each part of your course about what skills am I using? Do I enjoy those? What passions or interests am I fueling? Might it be fun to work in something related to that, whether that is football or technology? And then what is it that makes me feel like that was a job well done? Getting into the habit of asking those reflection questions about you and about the environment that you're in will help you to generate insight about the experiences you want to have, which you can then really partner with the careers team around to say, I kind of want to use these things to do this sort of thing. And they might be able then to give you some, some structured thoughts about what those job titles might look like. But really to own that and to think about that early and to, to embed your own methodology of active reflection about your career really helps to make good decisions. I meet people 15 years, 20 years, 30 years down the line who fell into their career and let someone else take charge around that. And sometimes we fall well and sometimes that works for us for a bit. Well, sometimes, you know, everyone in our family is a doctor or everyone in our family works in retail. And so we jump into that, too. And if you're lucky, 
then you've inherited all of the interests and skills for that and it works well for you too. But I would really say you own your career. So don't let somebody else choose for you. But it's very difficult to make a choice without knowing what experiences you want to have about knowing what your criteria are. And so the opportunity to start this reflection really early in your journey around formal education and moving into the world of work is a great opportunity to build your skill set for life because the 21st century world of work is going to be all about pivots, all about agility. Jobs obsolescence is going to speed up. Project-based work is going to increase. So it's not just being good at what you do, it's also being good at knowing what you want to be doing so that you can make the adjustments and spot the opportunities as you navigate through. So I would really sponsor and encourage um, all of you to, to think about it early. And, you know, in my time as a careers advisor, I was working with a lot of um, last year students at the University of Brighton. And I was quite shocked to hear them say, oh, I haven't done any thinking about my career. I'm just going to get this degree and then someone will want to hire me. And it just doesn't work like that anymore. You know, we've got to be doing it in tandem. And it can be fun and interesting and enjoyable to discover who you are and to be able to share that with others. Thanks, Erica. And thanks for the endorsement of what we do at Excel. So again, loads of things I could pick up there, but I think just to talk a little bit about what we do as they come to the end of their degree, I think back in my day, I think having something lined up, as it were, was seen as something that was expected. And you were measured on the success of your degree by almost having a really smooth transition from education into work. I feel that's changed now with the pressure and the competition of the graduate job market. So I've got a feeling as to how you'll answer this question, but what advice would you give to students who feel you know, they've they've done all the right things maybe over the three, four years they've been in education, but they still feel a bit lost when it comes to, to career planning. Yeah, well, so the first thing I would say is do a little bit of equation work, you know, really digging into what are the strengths that I want to be using day in, day out? What are the things and subjects that enjoy and give me energy? What do I want to see as my measure for a meaningful life and, and good work? And what kind of environments do I know I perform well in? Like continuing to ask those questions of oneself is really helpful for narrowing down the opportunities. Because actually the problem that you've got as grad from Exeter is not too few opportunities, but too many. And too much choice in anything is no good either. <laughs> so really being discerning and narrowing down um, what you're looking for helps you to focus on both your job search and getting really good at pitching yourself for those particular opportunities. The second thing that I would say is it's a series of choices, a career. It's not like you make one and then the drawbridge gets pulled up and you are locked forever in the tower of whatever you've chosen. It's a series of choices. So sometimes what we perceive to be our ideal choice isn't available to us. And the important thing is to keep making a choice, the best choice that you can, and seeing what you can learn from that. And I'll give you an example from my own life. So in my fourth year, I studied social history at University of Edinburgh. My fourth year, the Milk Crown came round, and I knew that I didn't want to sell alcohol for Diageo. And I didn't want to be an accountant at PwC. So folks were coming around, and I just knew that these things weren't for me, but I wasn't quite sure what was. And then a couple of things happened. I thought 
advertising might be good because I'm a wordy kind of a person. So I applied to a few advertising agencies and they wanted me to devise a campaign and kind of come up with some images and suffice it to say, I didn't get through the interview there. The second thing that happened was I saw an advert in the newspaper to be um, an announcer on, on Channel 4 doing the sort of interims between shows, which actually I think I would have been really good at. But at that time, I didn't know how one made a recording and how I would get it to them. I know mean, that sounds crazy now, but we're talking like 20 or so years ago. So I turned over the page and I did nothing about that. And I felt quite sad about that. And then the third thing was the civil service fast stream came around and I thought, ah, ha, ha, I'm a social historian. I'm really interested in current affairs and social topics. And best of all, this application says it's going to take a year. So what I can do is apply for it. And then when I don't get in <laughs> a few months, I'll just kick it down, kick the ball down the path. You know, anyway, of course, long story short, I did make it into the civil service graduate scheme. And I arrived at the home office recruitment building one, one day. And it was a very depressing building. It was a kind of grey concrete bunker with these very squeaky doors and sort of no images or kind of anything inspiring in the hall. And I really wasn't sure that I was in the right place. And I looked across the road and there was this amazing building. It was all glass and the lifts were outside and everyone was wearing like hoodies and trains. It was much more casual. And I thought, I want to be there. What's that? And I walked around the corner and what building do you think it was? It was Channel 4. <laughs> right? And um, I did join the civil service fast stream. I lasted about 18 months. It took me about seven years till I was running workshops in Channel 4, actually on careers and careers experience. But, you know, there was so many things I could say about that. First of all, you know, the experience of being hired um, through the fast stream was an amazing learning experience. The development I got there was an amazing learning experience. What I discovered about the kind of environments in which I do my best work was kind of priceless. But if I'd known about the equation, I might not have lost out on a lifetime's career because the civil service is a lifetime's career, you know. But I, I just knew that I didn't fit that environment and I didn't know how to make adjustments or how to have a conversation around that. Um, and maybe I never would have entirely found my home in the civil service, but it was an important lesson to me that, that you know, and not just that, but also on my CV, people saying, wow, you're in the fast stream, even though I only stayed two years, was an incredibly useful foot in the door. It gave me a level of credibility. It was very valuable. So I would always say everything is worth doing, you know, consider them an experiment. Um, even if you're not sure yet, take a decision and review your insights about who you are and what you discover and do your best, you know, do your best with the opportunities that you have. Squeeze the juice out of those opportunities. Work hard to be good at the thing in front of you and the answers will emerge and come. Fantastic. I don't think I can add much to that other than endorsing a cliche that's so popular these days. It's a journey, isn't it? It is a journey. And um like you, having been on the planet for some time, you, know, you then realise just how many decisions you have to make on that journey. And it's exciting. And what I've liked about listening to you today, Erica, is that you put such a positive spin on it. And, you know, rather than have your glass half empty, have your glass half full, just go and explore and see the opportunities as being exciting, test different things out. And you'll live happily ever after, I wish. <laughs>
Unless you have anything else to add, Erica, that has been such a delight in talking to you. I think we all agree, or we both agree anyway, that success can mean so many different things to different people and stick to that mantra and things will work out well for you. So if there's nothing else, I'll give you the last, if you've got any sort of final sort of tips, I'll leave you to end this interesting podcast. Oh, thank you. Look, I would just say, each of us is a unique design and you're filled with gifts and talents, each of you, that you're made for something. You know, you really are. And the world of work is about discovering how to align the gifts and the talents that you're so rich with, with how you spend time and make money. And the more you develop excellence and expertise in those talents and interests that you have, the more that some of the more symbolic senses of success will follow. But more importantly, the more your intrinsic satisfaction with yourself and what you're doing and your place in the world will evolve. But you may not get there in the first few years. You've got plenty of time to just do the experiments and seek the value from it. And if you like reading stuff about this or you like watching videos, do check out. I've got a book called Your Life Plan. You can get it on Amazon for just a few pounds or have a look at our website, careermatters.today, where there are lots of videos around framing your thinking about your decision making. And drop me a line on LinkedIn as well. I love to hear from people and, and to hear what they're discovering around their careers. So and check out the career service if you aren't already, <laughs> because there's really you know a lot of expertise, support, nurture and care within the university and academic environment to help you to make these discoveries and find that best fit. So wish you every success. This was the Career Zone podcast brought to you by the University of Exeter Career Zone. Check out iTunes and Spotify to keep up with all of our regular releases. And if you'd like us to cover something else in another episode, just send us a message, hashtag careerzonepodcast at UOE Careers on Twitter or at UOE Career Zone or at UOE Cornwall Career Zone on Instagram. And we'll follow up in one of the next episodes.